Chapter Four of Upper Canada Sketches by Thomas Conant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. Now push the mug, my jolly boys, and live while we can. Tomorrow's sun may end our joys, for brief's the hour of man, and he who bravely meets the foe, his lease of life can never know. Wabakash was an Indian chief of the Mississaugas. Every fall, from the year 1808 to 1847, he came with his tribe, or at least 150 of them, to the shore of Lake Ontario, that he and they might fish. Their lodges were almost invariably constructed on the bank of a creek, near its mouth, that they might take the salmon ascending the stream in November to spawn, and fish in the lake from their boats, with light jack and spear, for sturgeon. First he came as a young Indian brave, before he became chief, and, on attaining the chieftainship and a wife, the only difference which the few white settlers here at that time could discover in his attire, was that his deerskin leggings were more beautifully fringed at the seams, and his moccasins likewise were more elaborately wrought with porcupine quills. Wabakash was never known to commit a mean act. He was always friendly, and every succeeding fall his coming back was looked for with certainty by the white settlers, who got their living in the clearings and from the waters as much hunters and fishermen as farmers. On bidding his white friends good-bye, about December 1847, as he set out for the Indian encampment about Natawasaga in the thick woods, the Indian chief expressed the fear that he might never come back again. His fears were only too well founded, for he never did return. Old residents who knew him have been heard many times to wonder what was his ultimate fate. More strange still to say, not one of his tribe ever came back again to lodge any length of time. A noble-looking red man, he has been described as tall and straight, with a good face and a pleasant eye, in very truth one of nature's noble men. Many of his companions, who predeceased him, were buried near his camping place on Lake Ontario. Their tomahawks, beads, flints, spears, ornaments, and buttons, and their skulls as well, have been found in recent years by those seeking for traces of the aboriginal red man. As a means of money-making, next to the fur trading in Upper Canada came the making of potash. Ashes were about in plenty, and were easily gathered from the burnt heaps of logs. In the illustration facing page 97, the artist has endeavored to show the intense heat required. The fire about the kettle is blazing furiously. This is the melting scene, and the last firing before the potash will be done. The driest and most inflammable wood was needed to secure the great heat that was necessary. Potash, from 1800 to about 1840, brought some $40 per barrel in Upper Canada, and with the fur trading, helped to make wealth for my grandsire and others. On the breaking out of the War of 1812, between Britain and the United States, the settlers in Upper Canada were generally on the high road to prosperity, cultivating a land as fertile as any under heaven outside the valley of the Nile, 
and with less waste land than in any country of like extent such was and is upper canada it is blessed too with a mild salubrious climate where the four seasons are distinctly marked we have seen that husbandry begun about eighteen twelve gradually became a national industry wheat at that time could only be sold for one half cash and one half store pay the usual price was two shillings halifax per bushel or about forty-eight cents and it was almost invariably fall wheat the author's ancestors did considerable at farming but were mainly fur traders and producers of potash up to the time of the war clothing was almost invariably hand-spun and woven deerskin however was largely used for men's leggings moccasins and even women's dresses a story is told of a young girl having one dress only which was made of deerskin by many weeks constant wear it had become soiled one day while all were away she embraced the opportunity to wash this precious deerskin garment and dry it before the fire when the family returned they found the girl in bed weeping because she had no dress it had shrunken so much as to be too small to wear again when the war of eighteen twelve was declared the british government was anxious to send cannon and military supplies into upper canada from montreal at first these were sent by water but later on the fear of capture by the enemy caused them to be sent by land a main highway leading from york to kingston had been surveyed by the government and chopped out of the forest in many places however the settlers being so few it had from disuse become overgrown again with young forest making it impassable for laden wagons it was known generally as the kingston road at some places it lay quite close to the lake and at others receded two or three miles inland consequently only some sections were used for traffic in eighteen twelve one of these sections was at harmony a small village one mile east from oshawa here a large frame hotel had been built kept by one mood farewell this was one of the stopping places or houses of entertainment for the military men who passed to and from montreal and york during the war the illustration given at page one hundred twenty two is from a watercolor drawing made from a photograph of this hotel joviality and good cheer were characteristic of it and many a merry night was spent there by the british officers many times my grandfather saw them call for liquors in the bar-room on arrival each grasp his glass touch his companions and drink to the usual toast of here's to a long and moderate war could those old walls speak to-day they would recall the many many times this toast was given fun too was always in order one evening a young lieutenant a recent arrival from britain came in the heavy rain had soaked his thin buckskins and leggings on leaving the barroom for supper he hung them to dry on a chair back before the fireplace a great cavernous fireplace large enough to take in a four-foot back log two feet in diameter my mischievous grandsire watched the leggings and helped them on with their drying by placing them squarely before the fire 
when the young lieutenant came out from supper his consternation was amusing his property had become a shriveled hard piece of buckskin shapeless and useless why did you not mind my leggings he cried wrathfully oh i did mind them well just see how dry they are was the reply general laughter followed and the long and moderate war toast was again drunk mood farewell the owner and keeper of this hotel was the father of a numerous family many of whom and of their descendants have risen to high places both in canada and the united states he was a man of boundless energy pluck and endurance and amassed a considerable fortune about eight miles westerly from farewell's was lynde's tavern on the kingston road between these two points on the way from york to montreal the government had frequent occasion to have dispatches passed during the war as he had promised governor simcoe on coming into upper canada in seventeen ninety four roger conant aided the government even if he did not fight for it by carrying dispatches between these two points whenever he was called on so to do his house stood very near the shore of the lake a new and larger one having been constructed near the first along the lake shore past this house the heavy freight and military supplies were drawn frequently during the continuance of the war of eighteen twelve a midnight summons came to him first a knock at the door and then the demand open in the king's name in a moment gentlemen was the answer and as soon as ordinary garb could be assumed the officers were admitted get your oxen sir and draw a gun to york came the command certainly gentlemen but can't you wait a moment that i may feed the oxen before setting out by placing food and good cheer before the officers and men sufficient time usually was gained but after once starting out no stop would be permitted until the fort at york was reached about thirty-five miles westerly along the beach the intervening streams being crossed by wading sometimes the freight to be hauled consisted of other military supplies rough and formal as the soldiers were my grandfather said the officers were invariably fine men and he was always well paid in coin when he reached the fort at york on one occasion on arrival with a gun the commissary officer came to him and asked if he would sell a yoke of his oxen nothing loath he consented fourteen pounds halifax were handed him and the oxen became beef for the garrison this was a very lucrative trip with the pay for hauling and for the oxen and the country served at the same time the records of the time are not without the humorous side the following recount some of the tricks of the soldiers always ready to add variety to their bill of fare skirting along the shore and pulling up their boats at night came some troops on their way to toronto who were billeted to lodge with a settler for a night now this settler had a number of hogs and on arising next morning he missed one from the lot supposing the soldiers had stolen it he at once complained to the captain in command who instituted a thorough search among all the boats but all to no purpose the hog was not to be found and the command set off 
upon landing the following night after a day's row the missing hog came to light the captain puzzled to know how it could be so successfully concealed offered pardon to the offenders if they would only tell how they had concealed it taken at his word they showed the captain how they had opened the hog down the front its whole length and placed it like a sheath on the keel of the boat so that the water thoroughly hid it and nailed it there of course no one thought of looking into the water under the boat for the hog it would be superfluous to add that the captain had fresh pork for supper that night at another time as the troops were marching past a settler's house they came upon a flock of geese after the men had passed one of the geese was discovered missing and the owner came to the camp that night and demanded a search for it a most thorough search was instituted among the camp baggage but no bird was found next day however while on the march the captain had a part of this goose brought to him at his meal after partaking of the toothsome dish his wrath was no doubt much mollified and he asked how they had brought the goose along seeing no visible way of doing it his surprise was great to learn that the drummer of the troop had unheaded his drum and placed the bird inside well these poor fellows deserved well of this country for the hardships which they encountered in its protection and they were right royally welcome to both hog and goose and should be freely forgiven sometimes oxen were impressed to draw specie to toronto and the old men used to say that they would far rather draw the cannon than the specie while drawing the latter which was in boxes about a foot square the guards were very strict and would not allow much rest for the driver or the oxen like the story of captain kidd's buried treasure there have been stories told of a box of this specie being hidden while on the way by the officer in command it has been a rumor current among old eighteen twelve men that a box of specie was placed in one of the gullies near the lake shore on the scarborough heights from all that can be gathered it would appear true that some specie was deposited there persons armed with various amalgams on the ends of sticks others with witch hazel twigs have searched for this specie it is more than probable however that the officer who hid it came back for it after the war was over the lot of the u e loyalists who came here was one hard enough to deter the most resolute among us to-day from willingly entering upon its like those of us who would voluntarily for patriotism or even for money enter upon such a wild heroic life of toil are few very few indeed think of going from oshawa to kingston to mill as one of the hardships they had to contend with yet they laid the foundation of fortunes for their successors and those who held on to their inherited lands are to-day among the richest families in ontario they at least have particular cause to be loyal and faithful for the good they have received at their country's hands but those holding on to these royal grants are very few indeed as compared with the number who originally inherited them i do not think i can count more than a dozen families to-day between toronto and kingston who own these grants in direct descent by inheritance End of chapter four